1: The apocalypse that you so fear is the very unveiling of the person you so desperately need. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it begins with the gospel of peace in the apocalypse of peace.
0: That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. We continue in the Revelation series here today on Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenco's message is entitled, The Apocalypse and Peace. That's the Apocalypse and Peace. You can find it online at ReachingYourHeart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast. I'll have information on how you can attend the worship service in person if you would like. You can also attend anytime online at reachinghearts.org video. That's reachinghearts.org video. Previous messages are archived there along with the actual live broadcast at the time it happens. And we hope that you'll join us. Again, remember that phone number. It's 888-244-HOPE. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael oxen Tenko with today's Reaching Your Heart.
1: We're living in a day and age when thinking men and women know deep down inside that no one can manage the chaos of our times. These are crazy days. In fact, Christ said a time would come upon the world when men's hearts would faint them with fear and foreboding because no one would be able to fix the mess of end-time events something is messing around with all that we see. There are spiritual forces that are interacting with the weather and everything else. The weather, the politics, the economy, the anger in the air. It seems that relationships are tight and full of tension. And there is a sense that no human person, that no intellect, that no group of peoples, intelligent or not, can fix the stuff. I think most honest people admit it deep down inside that we are living in the time of the end. Do you believe that? We're living in the time of the end. And when we think of the book of Revelation, most people conjure up images of apocalyptic beasts, great earthquakes, locusts devouring the world, sea monsters and plagues and misfortune. Now, I'm not denying that they're in the book of Revelation. 666 and the mark of the beast are cultural expressions of fear. I mean, if you want to draw a crowd to a meeting, just put 666 on a billboard and they'll come because everyone wants to know what it is. For many, the book of Revelation is a book about fear. I mean, in fact, that's why many preachers are afraid to preach from the book of Revelation. We live in a time when preachers across the land are afraid to open the book and to go verse by verse and deal rightly with the subject matter because there's something about it that brings fear into the mix. A fear that cannot be managed and a fear that cannot be fixed. Fear without an antidote is end time fear. It's as thick as cement that has already set and fixed itself into concrete. The Apocalypse, that's another name for the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse for many is a book of fears with the end of days just ahead. Have you ever felt like that? you ever felt like that when you read the book? The Apocalypse that you so fear is the very unveiling of the person you so desperately need. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it begins with the gospel of peace in the Apocalypse of Peace. In the mix is God in the apocalypse. The book of Revelation begins with a clear statement that the time is near. Revelation 1 verse 3. Blessed is he who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written therein for the time is near. Now many people say, well Pastor Mike, do we really need to have the book of Revelation in our pulpits these days? What does Jesus say? Blessed is the one who reads aloud. That means to publicly proclaim the truth of this book. Heaven says, blessed are those who hear and do. John says there's a blessing for the person who really understands the book of Revelation and who really lives its truths because the time is near. Now, notice that he's not afraid about the future at all. There's no mix of fear here as we begin this journey. He starts with a confident sense that there's happiness and joy in the journey because the time is near. He is blessed by the fact that time is moving like a freight train toward an apocalyptic goal that is not the end for the prophet but the beginning of a new tomorrow. The attitude of blessing is literally the attitude of happiness because there's a future and what you really need most of all is almost here. He says the time is near. You know, this phrase, the time is near, has an almost identical parallel to one verse in the New Testament of extreme importance and worthy of our attention. It is an echo that we find here in Revelation 1-3. It's an echo of the words of Jesus when he began his ministry at the end of the 70-week prophecy of Daniel 9. As he arrived proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom at the end of that prophetic time period, we find the same language coming from the mouth of Jesus. Christ arrived proclaiming the fulfillment of the prophetic time that would lead us to the everlasting gospel. Mark 1, verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now many people say, well, Pastor Mike, what does the word gospel mean? It's not a very difficult term. It comes from the old English God story, I believe. And it means good news in the Greek, Euangelion. It is God's story of the good news. It's called here the gospel of God. It's not my story. It's not your story. It's his story. And history is his story. It's the story of Christ working in your life, working in time to save us. It is good news. Now, it's hard to proclaim good news if it's not good news yet. Did you hear me? I mean, if you're listening to a reporter and he says, well, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in 20 minutes. It's not very authoritative, is it? But if he says, the story is just broken, I'm going to tell you what has happened. Here is the good news. Suddenly, it's good reporting. And so the gospel is not something that will happen. The gospel is something in a sense that has happened. It's a revelation of God's breaking into history and giving us something that is behind us that leads us into the future. The Greek is almost identical in Mark 1.15 to Revelation 1.3. In Mark 1.15, it literally reads, the time is near. In Revelation 1.3, blessed and then, for the time is near. I mean, very close in the Greek language, the closest association possible. Mark 1.15, literally, the time is near, believe the good news. Prophetic time in the book of Revelation is not about the bad news of beasts and monsters. Prophetic time in the book of Revelation is about the good news that is near. The time is near because the time for good news has come. And the God of grace and peace will dominate the landscape of a troubled world with the everlasting gospel. The book of Revelation begins this way. Revelation 1 verse 4, we here find John's greeting to the seven churches. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Now soak in the first thought from Revelation 1.4. I mean, just take your eyes, glue it to the page, and soak it in, and let it really impact you here. Grace to you and peace from God. Pause. Grace to you and peace from God. Have you ever wondered what God wants from you? Have you ever wondered what he wants for you? And your struggle for faith, your struggle for Christian identity what does God want out of you a pound of flesh maybe you feel that way what does the Bible say here grace to you and what peace from God oh troubled life he wants to give you grace for life grace is unmerited favor and affection and peace means God is not at war with you this is not the way we're taught to think in church is it Pastor, there should be a little more fear in the mix. Well, a little fear helps morals, doesn't it? We often think that way. But for the life that is weighed down and cannot lift itself, fear dominates the life, controls it. For the heart that is beaten back and cannot fix the life, fear fixes the life on fear. No solution here. And for the soul that has lost itself and cannot find the way, the book of Revelation begins with the apostolic gospel that points the way to Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God. You know, this greeting is the apostolic greeting that is based on the reality that God in Jesus has forgiven you. You know, hair goes up when preachers say that. No, too, too easy. How can you say Jesus did it at the cross? Whenever I hear that kind of thing coming from the mouth of preachers or teachers or theologians, I know they do not know Jesus. I know they don't know the New Testament. And that they are foreign to the apostolic gospel. Dear heart, the book of Revelation starts with truth that was established by the apostles and anchored for time and eternity so we can make it through to the end. That God in Jesus has taken care of the full impact of your sins. Inside the Son of God's mind and body on the cross of Calvary, He bore our sins on the tree. It is the truth that because of Jesus, there is nothing left to condemn in Jesus. God's justice is rendezvoused with your failure and your need for justice. And in Jesus, justice and mercy have kissed. Grace to you and peace. The apostolic greeting based on the victory of Jesus. Pause. Soak it in. Prophecy is more about grace and peace than anything else here, is it not? You know, the book of Revelation is the culmination of all the preaching of the gospel in the apostolic age. It's the last book of the Bible. It affirms the core teaching of what all the apostles lived for, died for, and wrote. Grace and peace here are the key themes of the good news. And I'd like to do something here. It's going to be a little lengthy. I want you to work with me. I'm going to take you through every single instance of this greeting in the New Testament in brief. I'm going to read it to you and let you see just how this actually comprises the scope of the New Testament. Let's survey it. Romans 1-7. To all God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 2 and 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Galatians 1, 3 to 5, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Philippians 1, 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 2, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ at Colossia, grace to you and peace from God our Father. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. 2 Thessalonians 1, 2, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1, 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Timothy 1.2, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Titus 1.4, to Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Philemon, verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1-2, chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. 2 Peter 1-2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And finally, John himself, 2 John 1-3, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father And from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I mean, what's the New Testament about? What is the apostolic gospel about? If it's not grace and and mercy and peace, if it's not God's attitude given to us in Jesus. Dear heart, it's not bad news we find in the pages of the New Testament. It's good news. The core message of the book of Revelation is the apostolic gospel of grace and peace. And there is no substitute for this in life. Without this, there is no life. Dear heart, the book begins with the truth that God and Jesus is not at war with you. That Jesus is the atonement for you. There was war in heaven with the devil in Revelation 12, 7, but not with you. The dragon is at war with God's people in Revelation 12, 17, but God is not at war with his people. The beast and the kings of the earth will make war with God's people in Revelation 17, 14, but the lamb will win for his people because there's grace and peace from God for them. And Jesus will make war on those who join evil to persecute his people in Revelation 19, 11, But he will tenderly lead his people out of persecution to eternal life because there is grace and peace from God. Dear heart, take this truth and embrace it. In Jesus, God is not at war with you. Did you hear me? Grace to you and peace from God grace implies forgiveness. The book of Revelation starts with the bold truth that is counterintuitive to our religious mindset today. God in Christ has forgiven you. The Bible says that. I didn't come up with that. God in Christ has forgiven you. Theologians choke on the clear word of God, but steal the word of God. There is no grace unless God's attitude is forgiveness deep inside himself. Am I right about that or wrong? I mean, someone says, well, I won't forgive you until you ask for it in my heart. Now, Christ said you must forgive someone from your heart before they ask you. Is God capable of that attitude within himself? The cross of Christ is proof that he is. There is no place for peace unless God has brought the peace to you from what's inside his character. In 2 Peter 3.18, Peter tells us that we are to grow in the knowledge of God's grace. You can't grow in grace if you don't know and believe that God forgives you and there is grace for you in God's heart.
0: We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Tanko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today. So please stay tuned. You can always attend online at ReachingHearts.org slash video. That's ReachingHearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you. And you can attend a live service in a streaming format at that website. ReachingHearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxen-Tanko in today's Reaching Your Heart.
1: You can't grow in grace unless you let go of the anger that prevents you from forgiving someone else. Grace is a gift and you can't give it out if you can't receive it in. Hebrews 13.9 says our hearts are strengthened by God's grace. Hebrews 4.16 says God's throne is a throne of grace. My favorite verse on grace is Hebrews 2.9. Let's follow it together. But we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for every man. You know, if you want to look at the grace of God, you don't see it very often in human faces. But you look at the cross of Christ, and there in the face of Jesus is the grace of God. Friend, God's grace is for you, and the death of Jesus is proof that God has poured it out on you. Yeah, have you ever felt like you're not loved? Anybody here ever felt that way? Now let me ask you this question. Does anybody in the church really have to love you in light of the cross of Christ? Come on. Christ was there as you. God was experiencing an infinite humility and condescension to reach you. All that you are in struggle with was in him. And he took your sin away from you that he might love you forever. Friend, you are loved. There's no room for this negative thought in your mind. If you're looking for favor from God and you're not looking at the cross of Christ, there's no grace for you and you won't fight in the face of someone else to take the place of the cross. The pipeline to God's grace is the cross of Jesus Christ. And the cross of Christ is the ultimate proof that you stand in favor before God by the merits of Jesus Christ. The grace of God is for every person in this world. There is no picking and choosing with God's grace. Some people say, well, you know, Jesus died for the elect. You ever hear that? Theologians have said that. It goes back to the Middle Ages. Last time I checked in John 3.16 says, Whosoever believeth in him. Jesus died for the whosoever of John 3.16. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We don't have a limited atonement in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is an unlimited atonement. When Christ died on that cross, He died for the sins of Caiaphas. He died for the sins of Judas. He died for the sins of Pilate. And some might say God would never waste His blood. Jesus has wasted His blood in a sense because He loved them even though they'll never turn to Him. There is an unlimited atonement in the New Testament. The pipeline to God's grace is the cross of Jesus Christ. And the cross of Christ is the ultimate proof that you stand in favor. There is no picking and choosing with God's grace. Jesus had every head stuffed into his head from Gethsemane to the cross. When Christ came to the Garden of Gethsemane, which means the oil press, where the Holy Spirit was pressed out of his body, Every single human experience, suddenly he became the nexus, the joining, the collective consciousness of all humanity. No human body can endure that. And what transpired in the garden was he began to go into shock and shut down. An angel of God came and brought him back from death almost. And he was put on the divine respirator to live through every person's sin and destruction until there was nothing left to condemn. And the Bible, the Scriptures, says we have all been saved. It uses the past tense here. In fact, the New Testament uses the word saved in three distinct ways. Now, we have to be careful. When we say we have been saved, it could lead to arrogance. Am I right? You can say, well, I've been saved. And then you don't care about what your life is like today or tomorrow. In fact, the New Testament uses the word saved in three distinct ways. I'd like to just illustrate them. First, it teaches that we were saved in Jesus at the cross and the resurrection, As an act of grace for the human race and the person of Jesus. We call it historical grace saved in him. It is the atonement. The atonement that allows us to move forward with acceptance in time. Christ absorbed the human condition and experience as he dealt with it all deep inside himself. Now look at Ephesians 2, 4-6. I'm not imagining this. But God who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us. Now as he loved us here present or past. Tell me, interact with verse 4, present or past. It's a past tense verb, is it not? Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead through our trespasses. Now is that before you became a believer or after? That's before. He says before you became a believer, before you repented of your sin. Look what he says next. He made us alive. Now is that a past tense or present tense verb? That means he did something for you before you figured it out. He made us alive together or in Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now is that a past tense or a present tense verb there? See, I'm not imagining this. There is a sense in which we were saved in Jesus. And notice the word grace. By grace you have been saved. And he has raised us up with him. Is that present tense or past tense? Past. And he has made us sit with him in the heavenly places. Now, how many of you have been to heaven lately? Anybody here been to heaven lately? No, you haven't been to heaven lately. Does the word of God lie? Come on, interact. It doesn't lie. No, it says that he has made you sit with Jesus in the heavenly places. Is this true or not? If you are in Christ, more profoundly, if Christ had you in him... If you were on his heart in the Garden of Gethsemane at the cross of Christ, were you not there in the resurrection? Were you not there when he ascended before the Father? And he said to God the Father in Hebrews 1, here am I and the brethren you have given me. You know, there's a reason Jesus sent Mary back to the disciples and said, Go to my brethren and tell them I'm ascending to my God and your God, to my Father and your Father. There's a sense in which we have been saved in Jesus because the atonement has been given. And my favorite theologian says, when God looked at it, he was satisfied with it. In Jesus, God has saved his people for the future. If there was no cross, no one would be resurrected in either resurrection. In fact, because of Jesus' resurrection, there will be a resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. If there was no cross, your life would end at the crossroads of death and life and there would be no right to bring you back to life. Jesus has the legal right to resurrect you from the dead because Jesus has exhausted the judgment on sin for every single human being. Secondly, the New Testament teaches that we are being saved as we continue in Jesus. And this is a present tense sense in which it is true. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are, how does it read? To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now when you claim the finished work of the cross in your life, it does not mean that God is finished with you. You are being saved because the enemy cannot condemn the person that God has justified by faith. You see, Christ's victory does you no good unless you believe in it. The atonement will not be forced on you unless you fall on your knees and you say, Jesus is Lord in your life, you don't get the benefits of it. Why? Because God does not manipulate people to be saved. He doesn't force his kindness and mercy on them. It must be received by faith. And so we are being saved as we rely on Jesus by faith. And finally, number three, the New Testament teaches clearly that we will be saved if we remain in a faith relationship with Jesus. I mean, there is no room for this once saved, always saved business in the Bible. You are saved not because you've tricked God into doing something for you in the past. You're saved because you hang on to Jesus and he hangs on to you more profoundly. Some people, in emphasizing this last point, that we will be saved, deny the first point that we have been saved. Did you hear me? You know, some people, emphasizing the last point, that we will be saved, and I believe that, they deny the first point that we have been saved.
0: Well, unfortunately, we need to leave it there for the first portion of the Apocalypse and Peace, a part of the Revelation series. Remember, you can hear it and many other messages online at reachingyourheart.com. Again, a reminder, you can visit us at the church for the worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock. We'd love to have you there. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707, 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road,